This is Monstras. Hi everyone and welcome to another episode of Monstras. My name is Brenda Salguero. That was awesome, but I don't know what to do now. <laughs> well, you have to figure it out. You have to introduce yourself in a cool way like I did. No. So. <laughs> <laughs> Hi, everyone. This is Orquidea. <laughs> you like, now you're just sounding sad. Now you just sound sad. This is my Eeyore voice. <laughs> okay, I'm going to make fun of you a little bit. How is that different from your regular voice? <laughs> I'm laughing so much, it's making me cough. Thanks oh, no. a lot. Okay, sorry. <laughs> I'm kidding. No, I'm kidding. I'm kidding. You're, you're lovely. It was a very sad Eeyore voice that you did, though. It was yeah. very sad. That's my teaching voice, by the way, for folks really? listening. No. <laughs> oh, my God. You almost had me. I was like, girl, you no- put me to sleep. I don't think it is. Maybe it is. <laughs> today, students. We will in today's talk about- episode. Bueller. <laughs> Bueller. <laughs> Absolutely horrendous. Let's let's just get into it. <laughs> okay. So hi. <laughs> in today's episode, we will continue talking about the notorious serial killer La Mata Viejitas. I'm super excited about this part two. Part two, parte dos. Part two. So for this episode, we'll talk about her background, what drove her to kill, and we'll look more closely at how gender norms played a role in her eluding the police for so long, even though they were obviously not trying very hard. So Brenda, do you want to give us a... (laughs) As we find out in this episode, she wasn't trying very much, like very little. She was trying very little to elude the police and they still couldn't catch it. Well, and the police weren't trying very hard to find her. No, they really weren't. They were going, they were searching again, searching in the (laughs) incorrect places. So let me give you a refresher. So La Mata Vijitas, from our previous episode, uh, is a serial killer in Mexico that killed an estimated 40 to 50 elderly women. When the case first broke, authorities focused on looking for a travesti, or a man dressed like a woman, because many of the descriptions that eyewitnesses had described a broad-shouldered woman at the scene. But of course, they were wrong. (laughs) (laughs) Very wrong. So let's get into the killer and their background. So, I know. So, how was Juana Barraza? That is the killer's name. Spoiler alert, I guess. Not really. Not really at this point. (laughs) So, the killer's name was Juana Barraza. And how was she captured? So her capture is actually a really funny story. It was a complete f- fluke, like just complete happenstance. So in January 2006, a man saw a woman running suspiciously away from the home he shared with his elderly roommate. Concerned, he rushed home to find Alfaro dead. So that was his roommate. He ran after the woman he had seen leaving the house and caught her. 
two police officers happened to see this and proceeded to arrest 48-year-old Juana Barraza. Back in the house, they found 82-year-old Ana Maria de los Reyes Alfaro's body dead after being strangled with a stethoscope. This was a major breakthrough for a case that had stumped Mexico City authorities for years. Because remember, she was killing people for like, at this point, like, what, almost eight years, basically? Something like that, yeah. That's crazy. It was a freaking accident that she was caught. Complete accident. Dude just came home early. Yeah. Just happened to come home early. That's it. That's it. So... Uh, once arrested, the police linked Barraza to numerous killings. They found her fingerprints in 10 of the murder scenes. In her home, they found knickknacks she had stolen from her victims. They also found a statue of narco saint Jesus Malverde and La Santa Muerte, which, you know, could lead to some interesting chisme and conspiracy theories. <laughs> it's, cr- it's, it's nuts. It was fascinating. Well, and I love... Because that's one of the things that serial killers often do, right? They take like memorabilia or they take like little things that to remember the crime by. And she stole really knickknacks. Just like if they had little sculptures or or little statues, little toys, things like that is what she would steal and take home with her, which I felt was such like a middle-aged woman thing to do. That's what I would do. So... (laughs) Yeah, if you mur- if you mur- you were running around murdering old women in in Mexico City, you definitely would take like a little doily, like one of those little, like my mom has so many little knickknacks, so many. I would call them babusadas, you know, mm-hmm. like trash. It's so <laughs> mean, but that's totally what I would take. That's what, I, yeah, yeah. I mean, my parents still have McDonald's toys we got when we were like children, okay, like babusadas. It's a little much. It's a little much. But yeah, that's what you would take. You would pocket it. Yeah. And speaking of La Santa Muerte, so a quick side note, in prison, Juana Barraza, or Mataviejitas, became friends with Sara Aldrete. I don't know if y'all remember her. She was the accomplice of the narco cult leader, Adolfo Constanzo. So they were the ones that are accused of killing and dismembering people in the ranch in Matamoros as yep. part of the devotion to La Santa Muerte. So now Barraza and Aldrete are BFFs in prison. It's fascinating. Aldrete taught Barraza how to read and write. Are you serious? Yeah. That's insane. I also want to know what they talk about. I know. You know, because they both have some not-so stories. Yeah, to be a fly on that wall, on that prison wall. Oh, my God. (laughs) I would love to know what they talk about and what they gossip about. Oh, my God. I can't believe she taught her how to read and write. That's so great. She's like, fellow murderess, I will, you know, help you. Yeah. And I guess maybe they both bonded over how many people they killed. <laughs> like, I guess they, they shared stories about the stuff they collected or what they did with body parts, maybe. I don't know. <laughs> Honestly, I bet you it's just innocuous shit. Probably. They probably talk you about know? telenovelas. <laughs> yeah, I bet you. Oh my god, I bet you they talk about telenovelas. All the, yeah, yes, that's exactly what they talk about. That's exactly what they talk about. Oh, quick side note. So I was reading the the book that we mentioned earlier, or in the last episode, and in it she says that the Matavijitas Guanabarraza, one of her duties, sort of, is to walk or take care of elderly women. What? <laughs> I couldn't Wait. believe it. Yeah. 
Shut up. Shut yeah. the front door. Yeah. What? And so the author interviewed her and Juana, Juana was just like jokingly saying like, oh, these women, you know, they're so slow and they try to, you know, <laughs> they really. They try to escape me, but they can't. <laughs> yeah. Like it was fascinating. I highly oh recommend that Lord. book. How is she not banned? That's like, how is she not banned from being around old women? Like how? How? Oh my god, whatever. What you know, you know what they say, truth is stranger than fiction, and this shit is just bananas. But let's Yeah. Let's get into who the hell was Juana Barraza and how the hell she ended up as Mexico's most notorious serial killer. Let's hear about because, it. Because oh my god, I, you just blew my mind about that <laughs> that fact. That Juana fact. I know. So Let's get into into more Juana facts. So, Juana Barraza was born in the state of Hidalgo in 1957. So, she had a really rough childhood. Yep. Her mom was an alcoholic, and from the sounds of it, she was a very mean drunk that would beat Barraza. When she was 13 years old, her mom sold her to a man in exchange for the most ridiculous thing I've ever heard. She sold her for three beers. (laughs) Three freaking beers that's how much not she even was a six worth pack. to her not even a s- <laughs> <laughs> not even <laughs> not, you know what get out <laughs> it's just so ridiculous who sells their child for three beers beer at least hard liquor you know like a bottle of tequila at least like make it worth your while (laughs) it's so wild how that's how much she was worth to her mother this reminds me actually if have you seen the witcher not yet okay so the witcher in the witcher there's a scene where spoiler alert there is a scene where one character is sold to another character and that character is sold for like three bucks and it's just and so the character tries to at one point, and their lives because they were like, that's all I was worth. Dang. Yeah. I you imagine know? that fucks you up. It messes you up. It messes your, your, you know, at 13 years old, here she is, poor Barasa, and I have sympathy for her at this point. Yeah. Is sold to this man for three beers. The man ended up actually raping her and abusing her. Barasa didn't have much of an education, so she never learned how to read and write. Apparently, Aldrete, or Sara Aldrete, was it? Mm-hmm. Remedied yeah. that in prison. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> instead, she had to find other ways to support herself. This included selling food and other things on the side of the street. Yeah. she. I mean, from the sounds of it, she was really resourceful. And she had to be because she had three children. Oh. So at one point, Barraza began selling snacks at a local Lucha Libre ring. This is when it gets fun. I guess. <laughs> <laughs> this is why her, her story is like, what? <laughs> yeah. There's a little bit of a, a positive moment. So she was selling um, snacks and a local promoter saw her and because she's broad shouldered. He said that she could be a wrestler and make more money that way. So that's how Juana Barraza became La Dama del Silencio. Isn't that amazing? So that cool. was her what a wrestling cool name. name. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and it turns out that by most accounts, she was pretty good and had a growing following and things were looking up until she hurt herself in Ugh. a wrestling match and couldn't wrestle anymore. So desperate for money, um, she turned to the, a life of crying. Don't, don't. 
Dun, dun, dun. She turned to a life of crime, but out of need. Like, she didn't, you know, she was having this great career, and unfortunately, she ended up hurting herself. And yeah. it's that weird turning point for, for her, which which sucks, because it's like in a, in a shitty life of shitty things, this now this, you know, other shitty thing happened to her. Exactly. And so what ended up happening is, Desperate for money, she and her friends decided to start robbing people. So she and her friend would both dress up like nurses, go to older people's homes, and offer them medical assistance. After they were let in, they would rob them and leave. So that's kind of how we see the pattern start. Um, mm. who, who they were picking as victims and things like that. And that was going fine. That was working until the friends split up. So the other woman was like, this is a good deal. I'm going to go steal by myself. I don't need you anymore. Oh. Um, and and again, this is where the pattern of escalation happens in serial killers, right? Yeah. She started off kind of stealing first mm-hmm. and then slowly but surely ramping it up, right? Yeah. So this is um, a lot of people, when they talk about it, theory is that after this happened, Varasa decided to start killing her victims. So one of the triggering factors people point to was the death of her oldest son. Mm. Yeah. God, that sucks. That and also again, another really tragic thing happened to her. Yeah. She is to me a, a kind of a tragic figure. What she did was not is not excusable, obviously, but there's a reason why this stuff happens, and it's actually one of the reasons why I'm fascinated by serial killers and stuff. I want to know why. It's yeah. why I like ghost stories because I'm always yeah. like, why? Why is this ghost all up in this? bitch ass house you know like why is this ghost in here like what is what is your problem yeah. <laughs> ghost and so Barraza definitely had a lot of problems <laughs> she had a lot of issues and it's it's it sucks do you know what what her oldest son died of i think it was um it was a violent death so i'm not sure if he was killed i think she, he was killed by someone oh he was murdered okay yeah that sucks yeah. so then You know, like we said, her method ranged from strangling victims with her bare hands, which is a testament to how strong she was. Yeah. This was not, she was a wrestler. Yeah. This was not a a small woman, you know? So she she strangled people with her bare hands, and she also uh, used rope, and then she also then used uh, medical equipment. So this was the mastermind that stumped authorities for years, which is, remember... And I wonder, to me, I wonder if they would have called her a mastermind if they had known from the beginning that it was a woman. I think that's a good question. They probably wouldn't have. It would have been more like she's angry or she's emotional, right? Like it's not cold calculating. Exactly. Because from from what, I mean, Batiste, when he said that, you know, statement of like, I think this person is so smart and and savvy, mm-hmm. He it's almost... He was almost speaking with admiration. Yeah. In a lot of ways. But really, he was just an idiot. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Really, it was just the cops being stupid. Yeah. So it was clear that the police, you know, were really against the idea of a serial killer. But why? You know, Mexico is known to have crime rates, high crime rates. But despite this, a serial killer somehow crossed the line? It was more monstrous than the narco satanicos, which is crazy to think about. 
Yeah. Which, as you may remember, what a narco satanico is, we talked about them on our episode of uh, La Santo Muerte. So you can go back and listen to that. Uh, I am making you. It is your homework. <laughs> Don't give the listeners <laughs> homework. <laughs> You're a professor. You're supposed to give homework. Uh, <laughs> and and all this, you know, stuff uh, that we're talking about, you know, I believe really all ties back to Mexican ideas of gender and machismo. Like the reasons why they could not move past the idea that it could be like it wasn't even like they couldn't fathom. Like, it wasn't even part of the criminal profile in any sort of way. But it also shows bias because they did actually contact Americans. They contacted the FBI and they were like, give us a profile of this killer. And even the FBI was like, oh, it's a man. Yeah. There was was an extreme bias on both sides of the border in regards to if this person was a man or a woman. But to them, it was a man. Yeah. I think, I mean, a big part of it is that usually serial killers are men for whatever reason. But yeah, I mean, if if the witnesses said that they saw a woman, that should change things. <laughs> that should change. There were so many witnesses. They yeah. had 90, what, how many sketches? 64 sketches or something, something of ridiculous. this person? Yeah. So like, how are you in, de- it was just complete, it was complete denial. Complete denial. Yeah. So, and I personally think that one of the reasons that she got away with it for so long, even though she was careless, like we said, she left her fingerprints everywhere. There was no plan. (laughs) Yeah. She came in there. She was like, I got a job to do. Yeah. Boom, boom, boom. Let me take a little trinket. Bounce. (laughs) Exactly. Like that was what she did. She didn't plan anything. Yeah. But I think she got away with it because of her build. So because people described her as masculine and broad, it it just again it when it comes to beauty uh, traditional beauty standards, Barasa doesn't fit into what people usually see as beautiful and feminine. Her body type, her strong facial features, made her invisible as a woman. I think mm-hmm. like people just didn't read her as a woman, even when that's what they were seeing. Um, and I think another reason why she got away with it for so long. And one of her motivating factors was class and economic status. So most, if not all, of her victims were poor or lower working class. And this made them fall fairly low in the interest uh, totem pole for authorities. And Varasa herself was obviously struggling to survive economically. So there was a lot of economic issues and class issues going on with this case. Like we said, she had to start working at a very early age to support herself. This was really fascinating. So reports from the encounter with her final victim really hit this class aspect for me. Mm-hmm. So Barraza went to the home of uh, Maria de los Reyes Alfaro, like we said. So the what she said is that she was going to look for work. So she wasn't going to kill her. And oh. yeah, Barraza was like, I'll do laundry for you. And Alfaro offered her like 20 pesos to do like laundry. And Barraza was like, no, that's not enough. I want more. And Alfaro called her Agata, which is like a slur for maids and servants. She's like, it's a way of saying, oh, you lower class woman. And <gasps> Varasa flew into a rage and killed her. Wow. I yeah. mean, Alfaro really was not, she didn't know who she was messing with. No. Clearly. She did not see that coming. But all these elements of class just played a role throughout the whole case. Yeah. 
And I think it was mentioned also before that that's one of the reasons why this case, again, I think you you mentioned it actually just now. It was just like the police were like, it's not really important. Yeah. You know, and that happens a lot where serial killers do target a particular group, vulnerable group like prostitutes. Um, You know, you have some serial killers who target women of color specifically because they can get away with it because they society doesn't really care about them that much. So, yeah, or like gay really men and things like that. Yeah, exactly. The gay mm-hmm. men. You think of Jeffrey Dahmer and his, yeah. la- you know, one of his victims where they just, the police just gave him back. Exactly. Yeah. It's crazy. But that is a really cool, that's a really crazy story that that's why she killed Al Faro, which is another reason why she probably got caught because she wasn't, she wasn't actually going there to kill her. Yeah. That's one of the theories, like, and what she said. She wasn't going. She was looking for a job. Mm. Mm -hmm. So let's go into some final thoughts about why and also, like, the sexism and and Mexico's, you know, patriarchal beliefs and how it applied to this particular case. So Juana Barraza is one of Mexico's most notorious serial killers. There's a lot of articles on her, lots of articles, and studies have been done on her. Because of her gender and the confusion that caused, in general, serial killers in Mexico are rare. One of the other well-known serial killer killers is uh, Gregorio Cardenas, a.k.a. El Goyo de... How do you say this word? Mishquak. So, a.k.a. El Goyo or Mishquak Strangler, who in 1942 killed four women and buried them in his garden. Damn, gardens are just the theme, huh, today? Nature is evil. <laughs> Nature's evil. (laughs) Heard it here, folks. First heard it here. (laughs) Kill your gardens. Yeah. Don't hang out in gardens. So we might actually, this is, this is a really good uh, episode idea. So we, we should do an episode on El Goyo at a later date since he is pretty fascinating. There is also another serial killer that operated before El Goyo called El Chalequero, who killed 13 sex workers in the 19th century. And again, As I mentioned before, sex workers, blah, 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 they aim, these killers do target vulnerable people. So, all this to say that zero killing in Mexico is thought to be rare. I really wonder why that is. I, yeah, it's, it's, it's an odd thing. But maybe, well, let's look at some of the uh, way we understand, way we can dissect this. So, we have to understand that crime in Mexico is perceived differently than in the U.S. Serial killers are part of our popular culture now. With shows like Hannibal or movies like Silence of the Lambs, there is this idea that a seemingly regular white guy can suddenly be transformed into a monster. In Mexico, their crime film and and literature is really focused on the lower classes, tying poverty and marginalization with criminality. So the middle class do all these boring crimes like blackmail, adultery, and corruption. And on top of that, you have machismo crimes which are all domestic violence related, which also features very prominently. All these crimes, though, are about passion. Even mm-hmm. murder is done as a result of passions gone awry. So I did read, I think this was, is this Susana Vargas Cervantes? Is that the person who wrote the book, right? Yeah. Because I know I read another article on where I pulled the whole um, thing about La Madrasta and all that stuff. Mm. I think she might have written it. So so here you have two countries. You have the U.S. and Mexico, right? And two types of, of, of views on crime. So the author, Susana Vargas Cervantes, argues 
that in admitting that there are serial killers in Mexico is to question Mexican identity. I thought this argument was so fascinating. Yeah. That now the U.S. disease of serial killing, one that normally affects white men, has now bled through and infected Mexico. Also, in a society that values family and family bonds, the killing of these elderly women who lived alone was particularly wounding to the Mexican public. Despite other gender-based crimes that the government continues to deny exists, like the Ciudad Juarez and the murders of 400 mestizo women who live there. So it's interesting because, yeah, you have these huge crimes. You have the uh, desaparecidos. Mm-hmm. You know, you have these kind of um, particular crimes, and yet serial killers don't really factor into that idea. Yeah. I really thought, yeah, I, one of the things that I liked about the Vargas Cervantes book and, and article was was that when she talks about why why did this crime become such a sensation when all these women in Juarez are being killed or when we, when we do have these mass murders uh, happening and and she talks about which lives are considered more important and and that's it right like it's this idea of like the grandmother and taking care of the grandmother while these women that work are kind of unimportant the article that I referenced for the the La Madrasta and all that stuff, mm-hmm. and a, a little bit of this crime information as well, I actually is from Vec Lewis and comes from an article called Of Lady Killers and Men Dressed as Women, Soap Opera, Escape Goats, and the Mexico City Police Department. Nice. Yeah. It's a really great article. I highly recommend it. It's not very long at all either. So it's um, it is only 28 pages. <laughs> Not long at all. But double-spaced. Ooh. (laughs) Double-spaced. So just remember that. So let's get into why she killed and why only old women. That was one of the, like, really fascinating parts. So one of the reasons that I think that she killed old women was the convenience of it. They're such a vulnerable population. And, And they had already built, she and her friend had already built, like, that, what is it called? Routine, yeah. of crime tra- routine of, <laughs> of uh, targeting older women, and you know, using that ruse of like you know, we're healthcare workers or whatever, we're here to help you, and these women would open up the doors. Another thing, or another reason why she killed, um, and she said this in numerous interviews, was a resentment towards her mother. Yeah. So a theory is that it was she saw her mother in these older women so the the way her mom was abusive and the way her mom kind of threw her away or really threw her yeah. away was one of the reasons that this is the population that she focused on yeah i mean she sold her for 3 beers for god's sakes like i would why would i i would have the same resentment i'd be pretty mad too yeah you know so let's yeah let's talk about what happened to barasa like what how was the trial and what was her prison sentence? So, according to this Guardian article and a little bit of, of Wikipedia, once she was arrested, Barasa, uh, after about four months of uh, after her arrest, she was charged with ten murders. But she only pled guilty to one. The one where she strangled Alfaro and not guilty mm-hmm. to the rest. So... The city prosecutors told reporters that they were like, oh, we hope we can charge her for 27 murders. They have fingerprints that put her at at least 11 different crime scenes. Barasa is quoted as, 
I only killed one little lady, not the others. It isn't right to pin the others on me. And when asked what her real motive was, she says, I got angry. Yeah. And I believe that. Like, I do believe that any little thing that they did or would have done would have made her angry because she already had anger towards these, this like age group and these women. Oh, yeah, absolutely. Um, and then when she was detained, Barasa looked really respectable and unremarkable. She had like really neatly cut hair, conservative clothes. I think reporters expected her to come dress like the wrestler. <laughs> I know, right? Or, or <laughs> like, again, serial killers are not who you think they are or who what yeah. they look like. Like, they're not going to look like fucking Hannibal Lecter walking up in like a face mask exactly. and breathing and being. <sighs> Like, they're not. Yeah. <laughs> but people picked up on it all around the world. So people were reporting on her and the crimes because they were so unique and uh, heinous. Like, the killing of older women, the way she was doing it, how long she got away with it. And I think a big part of the draw, too, was that she was a wrestler. So they could show that picture of her in her outfit and her mask when they were talking about the crimes. Yes, the luchadora turned serial killer. Yeah, and that's the way people, the press really sold it, and it was sensational. Yeah, it was sensational, and it's and it's also very Mexican. Yeah, <laughs> you know, like like where yeah, else if you're is, gonna kill? Yeah, I mean, yeah, but it's very Mexican. You know, being a, a, a luchadora, like it's it's just such a Mexican thing. Yeah, I do think so, and I I do think that they expected her to be arrested with a wrestling mask on. That would have been great for headlines. Yeah, that would have been fantastic, <laughs> but no. <laughs> she's yeah. not dumb yeah and the actual trial was actually was really slow i think that unlike the crime itself it was uneventful and in mexico there aren't any public hearings there and, there and there's no trial by jury so it's really just in front of the judge the lawyers and a few other official not folks not like in so in the states where you have all yeah. these like sketches and the drama of the court and all that stuff and reporters so she ultimately was sentenced to 759 years in prison which is insane. Crazy. And you said earlier today you were like 200 years. So you weren't even... I know. Weren't even, weren't even close. And almost 759, dear Lord. It's just it's just so much. Um, <laughs> and I... Ex and you was a lot. <laughs> <laughs> and she and Aldrete are going to be great friends by the end of it. <laughs> but, <laughs> They're going to spend so much time together. They got 759 years together. Like, girl. Yeah. No wonder she's like, you know what? You, another female murderer, we're going to be best friends. BFFs. Yeah. <laughs> Amazing. Also, another little fun fact that I wanted to kind of just throw out there to everyone. She's quoted in the same Guardian article as uh, they asked her, like, why did you call yourself La Dama del Silencio or the Lady of Silence? She reportedly said to the police she chose the title because... Because I am quiet and keep to myself. <laughs> I mean, she's not wrong. She was obviously very stealthy. Yeah, that's true. That is very true, actually. She was very stealthy. She was very, very good yeah. at, at, at this particular thing, even though she wasn't trying, really. I know. <laughs> so before we wrap up, I do want to mention a few more pop culture appearances of La Mata Viejitas. So there's a few songs. There's one song by Amanditita called La Mata Viejitas, which came out in 2008. It's pretty catchy. There's another song by uh, Eric Martin called Que Sucedió. And there's a direct-to-video movie, of course, that came out in 2006 
So right after the arrest. Wow. Also yeah, called like La Mata Viejita. Right after. I know. I want to watch it. I really want to see it. I know there was an episode of Mujeres Asesinas that featured like the story. And more recently, the television show Consecuencias con Joe released an episode focusing on the case. And it actually included interviews with Barranza, which is really rare. She doesn't give a lot of interviews. Wow. So another thing we have to hunt down and, and watch. Yeah, that would be fascinating to see. Oh, my gosh. Yeah. And also the memes. There are memes in Spanish of yeah, La Mata I know. I was looking it's at these like, what? Morbid. I'm going to have to. Uh, I was like, wait, what? And so there's a picture of her arrest. Oh, my God. And it says, Sabes que no tienes suerte en el amor cuando hasta la mata viejita se casa y tú sigues soltero. That's right. That's another thing. She got married when she was in prison. That's and she was married for like a week or two and then they got divorced. <laughs> But for those at home who don't know Spanish, I'll translate it for you. <laughs> you know you're unlucky in love when even the Mata Vijitas gets married and you continue being single. <laughs> <laughs> and it's just text over her her mugshot face. Oh, my God. Yeah. It's just... There's so much with this case. It's fascinating. Oh, it's so it's just fascinating. Oh, and another article that I read, yeah. too, about her more recently is her father heard about her and wanted to actually reconnect with her. That's so weird. It's very strange. I mean, I was like, homie, where were you when she was sold for three beers? Like, come on. It's too fucking late. She's already in prison <laughs> for murder. Late. Yeah. You're you're too yeah. late, buddy. Like I mean it's it's nice, I guess, but at the same time it's like, bro, this uh, yeah. is on you. Like where the fuck were you? Although I I think uh, if I'm trying to recall the article, it might have actually had to do with her her mother and her being an alcoholic and maybe driving the father away mm. possibly don't quote me okay. on that but i think it had to do with something that like that anyways and that's it for today right yeah that's it for our episode today we are done with the infamous mata viejitas we've had a lot of fun with her yes lots of fun juana barras is fascinating i think she's a, a very fascinating serial killer i think she had a really rough upbringing, so it explains a lot, and I sympathize with her on that. But yeah. other than that, I don't see any justification for how she killed these folks. You know what I mean? Like, there's no, there's just no justification for it at all. Definitely not. A yeah. lot of people have really fucking rough upbringings, and they don't become these these monsters, this monster. And yeah, yeah. she's a monster in in a negative way. She definitely yeah. is. <laughs> she really is. <laughs> so again. Thank you, everyone, so much for listening. I hope you enjoyed this episode. We really loved recording it. We had so much fun recording it and, and researching it. If you want to continue supporting us, please leave us a review. Just let us know what you think. And if you have any monsters, creatures, or legends you want us to cover, let us know. Also, hit that subscribe button. You can follow us on social media on Twitter at Monstrous Podcast or email us at monstrouspodcast at gmail.com. So definitely send me emails. I am lonely. I am so lonely. Please email me. <laughs> <laughs> wow. <laughs> Please. That is not weird at all. <laughs> I'm just going to sit here and send you memes. You email me and I will send you <laughs> Mata Vijita memes like uh, like no other. Like I'll just send you that stuff. Like just email me. Email us. <laughs> we love to chat. You're going to get a lot of emails now. <laughs> 
so many emails, so many emails. And so I hope, hopefully people enjoyed it. Yeah, because it was a little bit different from what you usually do. She's a real life yeah. monstra. So hopefully you like it. And that's basically it. Any last words? No, it was fascinating. I'm glad you brought her up. Yeah, thank you. I'm glad uh, my favorite murder mispronounced the name so badly that I was like, I got to redo this shit. So... <laughs> Wow, the shade. <laughs> no. I really do like them though. They I love their podcast. I, like I that. do, but it's but yeah. it, I was like Mara. They kept calling her Mara Vijitas and I was like, "Oh no." Oh, okay. So I got it. I get that. I I was like, "I the soft tea. I got to I got to figure this out." But anyways, also we don't have an episode for next month yet created. We are working on it. We're doing some research. But we will let you know, and you'll find out when it drops. <laughs> so yeah, it'll be a it'll surprise. It'll be a surprise, like a piñata. <laughs> yay! Anyways, see you, everyone. Stay safe. Stay horny. Don't um. Don't go to gardens or parks. Yeah, don't go to gardens or parks. Don't kill anyone. Don't be mean. Don't sell your children for three beers. Good advice. Six pack at least. At least. Or some hard liquor. <laughs> yeah, a big bottle of tequila. <laughs> All right. Bye. Bye.